0: As you know, my wife and I were just over in Great Britain. We were mainly in the London area up near, uh, I guess you'd say up near Cambridge, but south of of that area, a place called Stevenage, and then Boughton and other places that are less known And uh, for services, or for meetings, I should say, board meetings, and to see Mr. King's home and be up in that area, but the actual services were in the London area. But it went very well. We had about 92, I think it was, for Pentecost, which was a record, I think, for that area. And then for the public service, I think it was the largest single attendance we've had in those uh, campaign-type services. We had uh, 290, almost 300 people come. So I'm very, very grateful for that. I thank God for that. Everything seemed to go well on the trip. We had certain problems, but each time it seemed like God was there to deliver us. And God gave me strength all along the way when I needed it, and I certainly want to thank my wife Cheryl because she was a tremendous help. I need her now more than ever because she has to help me finish or button this button because this hand won't work right, and sometimes button my collar and uh, keep me on the straight path in many play in many ways. So I appreciate her help constantly on the trip, and if I didn't have her, I would have been in big big trouble. But at any rate, she was a wonderful loving help all along the way as many of your wives are as well but we certainly do need to appreciate our wives and what they do uh for us and be be grateful for that uh we did have a lot of growth occurring over there and in our churches in europe as well as you know we had a a minister reese ellis come with us and so we've grown in belgium and france and across britain we're having constantly new people come in through the telecast. And we've had about 60 people come with us from another Church of God Fellowship. So it's certainly good to see the tremendous number of new people, comparatively speaking, that we've added to the church over there just in the last two or three years. We are growing in this country, too, as you know, about six to eight percent in church attendance over a year ago and that is the general uh, condition around the world so we're very grateful for what christ is doing i think with these tremendous prophetic events happening right now i think you know that that israel is being attacked almost from every side charles krauthammer is one of the most uh cogent writers of editorials in the world today. And he had a very powerful editorial in the Charlotte Morning News today spelling out how Israel is being forced to do this and that, and they actually want them to commit national suicide. In a sense, that's what it's amounting to if they follow the so-called international community. So Israel's going to have to do something to, to exist. And, of course, Iran has said they're going to wipe them out, Ahmadinejad. And uh, their back is against the wall. They may have to attack Iran to survive. They may have to do some other things. Meanwhile, the oil slick is spreading here. And meanwhile, our debt is getting more and more scary here in the United States and around the world. Hungary is the great latest uh, nation to join the great debt list and cause international concern. And the last couple of days, that's come out. So a lot of things are at a tipping point, you might say, brethren, in world events. I sincerely feel that things are going to really heat up a lot. I don't mean a little bit, but a lot in the next two or three years. And that probably means things will heat up in the work of God as well. Because we're going to have to reach a lot more of the world than we're reaching. Somewhere on this earth is a true church of God that's going to have to have an impact on this world. And we're trying to do that with all of our hearts. God could raise up stones but he normally doesn't use rocks if he has the whole church that want to do it (laughs) and I'm sure he will use us if we'll yield to God even more because frankly we don't need to just double we need to multiply and power in the work of god we really do that might not mean we multiply in numbers of church members although it probably will we may end up three to six times bigger in numbers but we probably have to grow 50 or 75 times bigger in the power we have and god can take care of that through a whole number of means that we've described before we need the gifts of the holy spirit so god can show he's working through his servants at the end of the age And God has indicated indirectly, but certainly indicated strongly by other examples that He will probably do that near the end of the age, and we can look forward to that. Many other things have to happen. So I really do believe that we're living into the most exciting time in human history, and great growth is ahead. But someone sees this growth, and they hate this growth. They really do. They hate the prospect of this kind of growth, and that being is Satan the devil. It's kind of interesting that God, they say, great minds work alike. Well, Mr. Stroud and I don't have great minds, and we would not claim that at all. I'm sure he wouldn't, and I don't either. But he spoke on my topic. He left me a few scriptures. It's all right. <laughs> he left me a few scriptures. There was one man, I don't want to mention his name like I'm against him, but he was, got to me an evangelist, a very nice man, and he's uh, having health problems, and uh Maybe, you know, not too much longer in this life, but a nice man. And one time I was preaching, I was scheduled to preach on the Day of Atonement uh, in the headquarters church in Pasadena. At that time I was in the Shakespeare Club. And that was to be the only sermon of the day. And I guess the Armstrongs were out of town, or they didn't want to preach for their fasting, but whatever reason, I was preaching the main sermon. And this man took about 37 scriptures. I mean, he went on and on every single possible scripture on the Day of Atonement that I could possibly imagine he covered. Mr. Neff knows the man real well. He had a way of using just half a scripture. He didn't even quote the whole thing. He turned here, turned there. And so I got I I got, I got kind of going backstage to the, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I began to pray to getting the right attitude and uh, then I finally decided well really he didn't get to explain the scriptures he just read them so I thought the thing for me to do is to get up and graciously say he sure covered a lot of the material or a lot of points or something but brethren he didn't have time to cover all of these scriptures so I'll have time to explain some of them to you and so I, I went ahead and preached and it, it went okay And he and I were good friends before that and and after that as well. Mr. Stroud did not cover all the Scriptures, though, (laughs) in any way. It's kind of interesting, though. It just turned out he spoke on the same thing. We need to realize, brethren, that Satan the devil is very real. He is a very real being. Jesus spoke about him again and again as being a real spirit personality. And the Bible talks about that all the way through if you really believe this book. If you believe that God inspired this book, you know that there is a spirit personality called Satan the devil. And he is alive. He has fallen angels who are now called demons, millions of them, probably hundreds of millions. He has his own private army, so to speak. But God is far more powerful, far more powerful. And we don't need to be afraid of Satan, but we do need to be aware And that's a very important point, and I hope we can all realize that. Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation 12 at the beginning here. Revelation chapter 12, a very key scripture that we need to consider and be familiar with. And I want to, I've read this to you before, but I think it's a good start to the message here this afternoon. I'm going to get a little bit of this tea and get my throat loosened up. In Revelation chapter 12, it describes Satan the devil, past, present, and future. It says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, described the woman clothed with the sun, being in labor with the Messiah. Describes in verse 3 a great fiery red dragon, identified later as Satan the devil, and how he, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. This very book, back in chapter 1, verse 20, identifies stars as angels because the Bible interprets its own symbols. He drew a third of the angels and threw them to the earth. And the dragon, he is now called the dragon, stood before the woman to devour her child as soon as it was born. He tried to kill Christ. Remember, he caused Herod to kill all the little baby boys all over under two years old. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. So it was, of course, Satan the devil, and the male child was to be the Christ. Then, verse 6, it skips ahead a few hundred years throughout this chapter. Then the woman fled into the wilderness. She becomes now not ancient Israel, the congregation in the wilderness, as the church is called under Moses. But she becomes the New Testament Israel, the church of God. Then the woman during the Middle Ages, we know, had to flee for she has a place prepared by God. This was not up in heaven. The wilderness is here on this earth. And brethren, if we're really faithful and overcome Satan and walk with God, we can be taken to a place of safety. And it will not be up in heaven. There is no rapture. There is no rapture but we are going to be taken not up in some spirit way but by no doubt God says on eagle's wings he took Israel out and they had to walk maybe we'll be taken by a special airplane or put on board ships in disgrace to get us out of the country we're upsetting people so much with our message we don't know what it'll be but God will guide us and protect us like an eagle does its young eaglets and protect us and guide us so the woman had to flee back here in the dark ages And there there was a place of safety in the Swiss Alps and the southern French Alps and elsewhere in that area. The true church of God fled to that area. They were called the Waldensians and the Albigensians and the Henrysians and so on. But hundreds of them, thousands of them were also called the church of God. And they kept the Sabbath day and the 14th day Passover and certain other things. All the Waldensians were not church of God people, by the way, but some were. So then it skips again again a number of years here to our time. And war broke out in heaven. And one of the false prophets of our time has already said that war has already taken place. That war has not taken place. Then war broke out and Michael and his angels fought his, against the dragon. And the dragon fought and did not prevail, nor was the place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. Brethren, that war is just ahead of us. That war could happen in the next few months. It more likely happen two to four or five years from now. I don't know. I'm not trying to set a date. But when that happens, we're going to sense a tremendous upsurge in demon possession and in all kinds of weird things that will be happening. And it's good for us to realize that. Uh, so here is a spiritual war that's going to take place when the devil and his angels are cast back down and the dragon was cast out, Satan the devil who deceives the whole world. This is not a small statement. And again, brethren, the Bible says what it means. It means what it says. It doesn't mean Satan deceives part of the world. Satan deceives the whole world. It doesn't say every man, woman, and child because God is always at a tiny group of people but the world as a whole overwhelmingly is deceived by the devil and his demons who deceives the whole world he was cast to the earth and his angels cast out with him so when he comes down you're going to suddenly see a different look a different attitude in those leaders in europe And they're going to become like Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini and Heinrich Himmler. And they're going to begin to tighten the screws on the Jews and on us, the descendants of the House of Israel. And you'll see that. And it's going to happen in a terrible way. It will it will begin to be obvious, I'm sure, within a few months or maybe a few days after this event happens. And this voice comes from heaven, now salvation, And strengthen the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren. Satan the devil accuses the people of God. He will use outsiders to accuse us and impute false motives to us. And they will probably begin to say that Mr. Ames and I and the other leaders are unpatriotic. Because we're talking about the fact that the United States and Britain have to be brought down. That God is, is going to punish us. Others will accuse us of being this and that and something else. We will be homophobes. That is, homophobia means haters of mankind. Well, we're lovers of mankind, but the sex perverts, if you don't go along with their so-called gay agenda, they call you a homophobe. You've got to agree that it's okay for men to marry women and all these things that they want. Otherwise, they'll give you these names, and they're very clever at it. So they're going to spread this throughout the nation And people will hate us for all kinds of reasons. And you got to be aware of that. you got to be aware of that, brethren. You've got to prepare for that in your mind. Satan the devil will get at us in every way he can. He will have brethren accusing brethren. Some of you will get turned off for various reasons. Satan will get you to accusing one another. Satan will get you to accusing me, just like thousands of brethren at one time were upset at Mr. Armstrong. Was Mr. Armstrong perfect? No, he was not perfect. You've heard me say that over and over again. I do not worship Mr. Armstrong for one minute, but I honor him as the single human being who brought and synthesized more of the truth and taught that major truth to the world than any man in modern times. And he was like a second father to me. As my wife knows, I've said that since we first got married. Sometimes she said, well, Rod, you seem like almost you're worshiping Mr. Armstrong. She knows how much I do admire him, and all my children know that. But I know I could start listing, well, he was made mistake here and there, In about 15 or 35 or whatever, he was human. He was not God, but God did use him powerfully. But because he was a very strong personality, Sometimes women would get all mad at him because he would preach powerfully. All oh, men ought to be the leaders, and the husband is the head of the wife. And sometimes he would ball women out in a way that was not ideal. I guess he 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 was of the old school. And then some of the younger men didn't like him because he was strong with them too. And then he would spend money building the auditorium, eighteen million dollars and more than that counting. I guess the interest rate. People say, well, it's Armstrong extravagance. Way back in 1953, four, along and there, we had an old French uh, and Spanish professor named Emile Mollyese, a white-haired kind of a, a Colonel Sanders type looking guy. And I liked him, his interesting personality, but he was not in the church, and he kept talking about Armstrong extravagance. And he talked about the Heavenly Father and his son with the red chariot. Well, of course, he was talking about Mr. Armstrong and his son Dick. Well, the Red Chariot was Dick's Plymouth convertible. It wasn't a Cadillac. It was a Plymouth convertible. And Dick was working sometimes 60 or 70 hours a week trying to dub all these tapes way into the night because you had these old discs, I mean, that we'd, and I joined him in going down Santa Barbara Avenue and they didn't even have the freeway then to the airport. We'd have coffee or beer or something on the way back occasionally and get the tapes out there to be sent to all the stations and be friends with Dick. But, you know, he had little Plymouth convertible because he could afford it. He worked long hours and nothing wrong with that. But that was called Armstrong extravagance. And then later, of course, when Mr. Armstrong built the auditorium. That was Armstrong extravagance and other things. They went on and on. Whatever he did, they could criticize. And Satan stirred people up. So that when Mr. Armstrong died, some people really didn't deeply respect him. And I found that out more profoundly than I had realized until that happened. Because as long as he was alive, he was the boss. So they didn't want to get fired, the people around the campus. And he was the only game in town, was the only church of God. But they would get upset at this and upset at that and so on. And Satan would stir that up. So you have to realize Satan will be on your case and my case to stir each other, all of us up against each other if he can. Satan's strategy is divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. And it's good for us to realize that. But he is the accuser of our brethren who accuse them before our God day and night. He's been cast down when this final war takes place and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Some of them may have been tortured or will be tortured and they will actually prefer to die. They just hope it will speed up. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea for the devil has come down to you. When this happens, brethren, it's going to be powerful. It's not this mixed up guy over here That with this other church that talks about it, as having already happened for the last three or four years, it's going to be powerful. And when Satan comes down, whoa, because he's come down having the great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Satan is going to cause a lot of trouble for the church of God, for the people of God. For the United States of America and the British descended peoples, he will attack physical Israel, and he will attack especially spiritual Israel. Now when the dragon saw saw that it had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. Now is the true church of God who brought forth the male child, and the the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished, not up in heaven, but a place on this earth. She is nourished... In the wilderness, God never ever calls heaven a wilderness. It's absolutely gorgeous up there with the sea of glass and all the other things that are in heaven. This is the wilderness on this earth. Is that wilderness Petra? It could be. We don't know that. As Mr. Armstrong said, that's the most likely place if the Bible indicates But the Bible doesn't say, so we can't be sure. As I've said, some of my sons have thought it's going to be in Fiji or Hawaii or some desert island. Well, that'd be fine. But it's more likely to be in Petra. That would be a little bit of a trial too, I guess, to trust our faith. We'll have to have faith that God will feed us, that He'll give us food, He'll give us water, everything if we go there. So to the woman was given wings to go to this place to be protected three and a half years. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood, and he tries to send a flood of armies out. You'll see this flood described as, as the armies in a number of places in the Bible. And that's probably what happens. And then the dragon is enraged with a woman, verse 17, that is those who are left. And I guess Tim LaHaye would call that those left behind. So we could have our own left behind book ourselves. It would be quite different from his. Those left behind. And he went to make war with the rest. Not those who go to safety. But some are not walking with God. Some are confused by Satan the devil. And they are left behind. And then they are in a sense at the mercy of Satan. Because he quickly comes right after them. The rest of the offspring who keep the commandments of God doesn't say the Catholic church but those who are in God's church but not protected who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ so brethren is it, is it important to be where Christ is really working is it important to be as close to God as you can be or is it okay to be out in the fringes you have to figure that out yourself You really do, and it's up to you to do that, to prove all things and try to get as close to God as you possibly can. There is a spirit war that is going to come, and there is a spirit war that is already occurring right now today, every hour of every day of your life. The spirit war is raging. Satan doesn't get tired he gives He doesn't give up sometimes we do, but we must not, Back in chapter two revelation two twenty six God says, and he who keeps overcomes the overcomers and keeps my works until the end to him will give I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. It's Christ talking the overcomers we've got to overcome ourselves, our own human nature, vanity, jealousy, lust, and greed. We've ought to overcome this world, as Mr. Stroud was describing, all the lusts of the flesh and the things around us in the world. And we've got to overcome Satan the devil and realize that we really are in a spirit world war, I should say, and that we need God's help very, very much. I have read, as many of you have, various... Uh, items of history about the second world war many other parts of history too as well but a number of places i've read where in the north african conflict back in the 1940s general george patton you know they had the famous movie about him he knew he was going to be put against erwin rommel who was the by far the best german general very brilliant And many people feel he was the most brilliant general of the war, including our side as well. We don't know that. He didn't have all the, uh, you know, America became the arsenal of democracy, just pouring out thousands of tanks and guns and planes, and Rommel didn't have all that. He was very clever. But Patton was going to be up against him, and Patton studied... Everything he could get a hold of in that last few weeks that Rommel had written. And they had even books and things from the war college in German and these different people in peacetime get those things on each other. He said, you've got to know your enemy. You've got to know what you're up against. Learn to think like he thinks and see what he's going to do next. And brethren, we need to do that about Satan the devil. I'll just be able to cover as part of it today or I would go way over I'm glad Mr. Shroud did give a fine sermonette. He covered many of the key points so I can speed me up in some of these passages and I won't have to spend as much time explaining some of that. But we do need to know our enemy because we're going to be up against him and we do need to understand him. Turn, Wimpy, if you would, at this time back to Isaiah 14. And most of you again are very familiar with this. Isaiah chapter 14, if you would. Here it describes Satan the devil as he began. Verse 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Originally, Satan was apparently very beautiful, a beautiful spirit being, or handsome, we might say. Lustrous, filled with light and beauty and color and brilliance of every sort. Lucifer, shining star of the dawn, light bringer is what that word meant. How you're cut down to the ground who weakened the nations, for you said, I will ascend into heaven. He's the first one who wanted to go to heaven. He's tried to put that attitude in the hearts of all these false ministers. They think that's the reward going to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, and no doubt that meant the angels of God. I will also set on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I'm going to be like God. And, of course, that was a terrible attitude. From the beginning, Satan had a rebellious attitude. He had an attitude of self. He was filled with self. How handsome I am. How capable I am. How influential I am. And I could strut around and ask very, very important around people and so on. This was his attitude. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol or the grave to the lowest depth of the pit so God purposed to bring him down and certainly that did happen or is going to happen as we know and already Satan has been held in abeyance to a certain degree most of the time now we go to Ezekiel 28 turn to Ezekiel 28 again one of the basic scriptures but just a little background here in the first several verses up through verse 10 it describes the prince of Tyre Tyre, as Mr. Armstrong explained in his old booklet, was the New York of the ancient East, a very powerful trading city, commercial city, fabulously wealthy, just like New York at its peak. Then he's talking about the human prince of Tyre. But suddenly in verse 11, he begins to talk about the king of Tyre. Take up a lamentation for the king, not the prince. If The prince has already been described as very powerful, very wealthy. Who then could this king be? Well, we know that. It's the power behind the throne. Satan the devil, who is really behind every pagan nation on earth. And God's word indicates that. Don't have time for all of that. But certainly Satan devil, ind- God's word indicates that that is the case. Satan has demons over each fallen nation frankly every fall church has a certain personality had come from a demon he says you were the seal of perfection full of wisdom perfect in beauty absolutely handsome you were in Eden the garden of God he was right there in the garden of Eden from the beginning every precious stone was your covering and names them and they were prepared for you on the day you were created a, a created being not born of God but created you were the anointed cherub who covers. So he was one of the three super archangels called cherub. Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. They were the top three. One third rebelled of the demons under Lucifer who took them with him. And it's quite as scary when you realize it. Satan took all, apparently, or virtually all of his angels with him. He was very, very clever very, very influential they all went with him you were the anointed carib apparently who covered the throne of God for a while I established you you were on the holy mountain or the kingdom of God you walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones on God's very throne and glorious places you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created a created being till iniquity was found in you then he turned aside By the abundance of your trading, and looking at various commentaries and talking to a few scholars, I think this could be loosely translated, his dealing, his maneuvering, in modern language, politicking. By the abundance of your trading, his dealing, his wheeling, his politicking, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I will cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. So he, God says, I cast you out, which He did, uh and i destroyed you old covering care from the midst of the fiery stones he didn't say he destroyed him utterly but he destroyed him from the midst of the stones out of that office he was kicked clear out because he had rebelled directly against god he wanted to fight god he was filled with self and brethren that's the thing you have to realize when you get filled with self that's the beginning of trouble the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom the beginning of understanding, the beginning of knowledge. You know how often that's used throughout the book of Proverbs. All three things are mentioned in the book of Proverbs. The fear of God, the awe of God, the profound humility you have in relationship to God to realize that the great creator of the heavens and the earth is up here with total power total beauty, total wisdom, and that we are so many little ants crawling around on this little ball out in space, and we can strut around and feel very important, but compared to God, we are nothing. And God says, oh, you worm, Jacob, you know, he calls our ancestor Jacob a worm. Well, we're all worms compared to God, and we really need to profoundly understand that but Satan did not understand that and when human beings get to feel important when they begin to feel I want this and no one's going to tell me anything and boom on boom, boom, that attitude that is the beginning of the end for that person unless they repent of that somewhere along the line and all of us have had that at one time or the other I've had it many times many times but we have to repent of it and keep on repenting of it get rid of the self and try to totally surrender to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the Creator God, and say, I really mean it, God. You're my Father. You're my Creator. In You I live and move and have I be- my being. You give me every breath that bears the air that I breathe. Everything I have belongs to You. And I surrender to You. I want You to live Your life in me through the Holy Spirit and really mean that. That is the attitude we've got to have if we're really going to overcome Satan, brethren. It really is. Because Satan's attitude is the total opposite of that. It's the attitude of self, self self-importance, self-vanity, self-will, and rebellion. And that attitude is the attitude that will be stamped out. It will be stamped out of the entire world, finally, after Christ comes. So we need to realize that, or certainly by the new heavens and the new earth, that we've been totally stamped out by that time. At any rate, that's the attitude that God does not want in his kingdom or in his family. Uh, now, Satan, as Mr. Stroud mentions, often attacks the weakest link. And I'm going to come back here, and I don't want to offend you ladies, because I do love and am very grateful for my wife and my mother and my sisters and the many Wonderful, beautiful women friends I've had through the years and helped so many ways, and we would not, we would not be anything without our, our mothers and our wives and, and and sisters and so on. Each one of us has different strengths, but we do need to understand Satan will attack the weakest link. How did this whole thing of Satan coming into the human race begin? You see it here in Genesis chapter 3. Just get this from God. This is not just from Rod. This is from God. So just think about it that way. Now the serpent, that is Satan the devil, was more clever than any beast. He said to the woman. He immediately came to the woman. Brethren, women, and you all know this, or should know Some of you young men haven't figured it out yet. Women are not just pretty. They're not just sex objects. But they are some of the most wonderful beings in the universe because God has made them beautiful physically and in their whole emotional thing because they are made to be responsive. In reading a number of books about womanhood, for the book that I wrote for the Worldwide Church of God on womanhood, true womanhood, I noticed that book after book many were written by women. That is one of the main qualities of a truly feminist feminine woman responsiveness a woman is made to be responsive to others made to be responsive to her husband some women tighten that up in the modern feminist movement and they try to squelch that but normally a woman does want to be responsive to her husband and she's made to be responsive to her children Often a, a little child will cry when I was growing up. Well, Johnny's cutty. That's too bad. Huh? I used to do that. I go on to work But my wife. Oh, Johnny or whatever the name is of your child. A woman, you know, a mother's all over her. She wants to just take care of that child more than we men would. If we men were all the men and the women taking care of the children, we're all, we're all men. The children would die. They wouldn't have that responsiveness that comes from a mother. They just wouldn't live so let's really understand that my mother saved my life many times in many different situations i could never thank her enough but women satan and some men try to take advantage of that responsiveness from women i know my son mike has been a a super salesman very successful now in his business and he says it's not selling anymore but whatever he calls it financial management and so on but at any rate he had whole teams of—he was working with at about three or four different companies, and nearly every different sales trainer, he said, told, especially if it's door-to-door selling, if you go there and a man answers the door, unless that man is immediately responsive, then just say, Well, it's okay, and go right on, because you're, you're going to get in trouble. But if it's a woman, then try to talk to her. You'll have a better chance. And I found that, too, as a little boy, because I was selling Saturday Evening Post and Liberty Magazine and Ladies Home Journal with my little sack. And I would find if a woman would answer the door, she would see this little six or nine-year-old boy, and she she wanted to be helpful. And so she'd buy my magazine just to help me. But the man said, oh, that's okay. We'll see you later. Slam the door. Get rid of Get gone, kid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And that's, you know... I remember hitchhiking all around the state of Oklahoma when I was 16 years old. We were trying to follow the harvest up north, and it was the rainiest summer they'd had in years, and the combines were up to their axles in mud. So we had to keep hitchhiking around from Oklahoma City to Tulsa, I guess, to Enid, to Altus, to all these other places around Oklahoma. Clinton was one of them, not Bill Clinton, but Clinton, Oklahoma, made a big circle, Ardmore. And anyway... After my son, my friend, uh, got homesick and went home, I was all alone. And well, he and I went together in this for a while, but we would often didn't have much money. We'd come to a place and we'd try to get a place to sleep that night. We had virtually no money, maybe just one or two dollars. And here would be an ad, uh, room for rent, 50 cents. Now, this was back in the 1940s, of course. That sounds strange to you, but I would go there. And hopefully it was a woman, because that woman was always old enough to be my mother or my grandmother, and here I was, a 16-year-old kid. And so she would take me in, and then she would ask me if I'd had dinner. I said, oh, I've had some crackers and cheese or something. Well, you you come and eat with me. So I got a, I got a room for 50 cents. I got a free meal. I would usually get free breakfast. besides <laughs> they, they wanted to mother me. I've always been so thankful for that, all those many, many things. But on the other hand, Satan and some men will try to take advantage of young women, you know, and get them to kiss and hug and and seduce them into fornication, or they will try to take advantage of them in other ways and hurt them in in business deals or whatever. Women can be responsive and taken advantage of. So Satan approached the woman, and as Mr. Stroud explained, said, uh, has God said, you can't have this one tree? What's wrong with God? Is he selfish? You know, the implication was God is not fair. And the woman, uh, he told the woman, for God knows that the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw the tree, look good. Satan, as an evil salesman, talked her into it and she took of it. But God then told Adam later, this is God speaking, brethren, verse 17. Then God said to Adam, because, here's the reason, they were driven out, because you heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and so on. God allowed Satan to take advantage of that weakness. Now, the man was equally evil. He knew what he was doing, in a sense, but he just gave in to his wife. And we are warned by many examples that, a woman can be taken advantage of by Satan and all of you men need to realize that to be leaders of your home you should be the right kind of give, have the right kind of loving leadership so that the women don't get their emotions stirred up in the wrong way and perhaps lead you right out of God's church or other things could happen like that as often happen I remember Mr. Carl Manair told me more than once he knew a lot of these uh men that started some of these other groups when they get into politics he personally trained them i taught some of them as a, one of their three or five or six bible teachers i was not their only bible teacher but he got to know them actually had them live in his house for a while and he said these fellas that had strong wives he named the specific ones these women led them astray otherwise they'd probably be with us he mentioned a number of them he knew that The women often did not want strong leadership. They resented what Mr. Armstrong was doing. They didn't like that kind of leadership. And so they just wanted something softer. But it's not the kind of thing God tells us about in the Bible. And you'll find that sometimes. Sometimes a a wife will want to give in to her children on various things. And then the children lead her to get upset at the church because the woman wants this or she wants to favor the children in a wrong way. And these things happen. You men have to have the wisdom, the objectivity, and the loving leadership, not harsh leadership, saying all women are dumb. They're not. Many women are smarter than most of us in this room and IQ but they may not have as a rule the same objectivity that a man will have and therefore God Almighty, not me, it's all through this Bible and all of you converted older women know that. Every time God appointed a leader in the church or the nation of Israel, it was a man, never a woman. He allowed a prophetess that one time, Deborah, to rise in Israel, but he didn't appoint her. He allowed that. And then she had to shame Barak barack said well i'll go to war but you'll have to go with me and deborah was like a mother she said well barack you won't get any honor being led into battle by a woman but Bayrak still didn't have the guts she had to be the margaret thatcher for her time if you see what i mean but that was not god's normal pattern every single solitary time there was a prophet or a king never a queen the only queen was uh Uh, what's-her-name, who was dragged out and stomped by the horses or whatever and turned into a very wicked woman, every one was a man. All the prophets, all the kings, all the ministers, all the apostles, all 66 books of the Bible written by men. It's not a mystery. God intended the man to be the leader in the right way. But we'd better have enough humility to realize we need a woman's love. We need her guidance, her input, her advice— her balance to be the right kind of men that we should be. Nevertheless, we need to understand that men and women, and not let uh, the wrong kind of emotions come into our decisions. Back in in uh, and Satan, remember, will get at us in that way, or in many different ways. He will come at us in, through the weakest link. He will try to find the weakest link. If if your weakest link is following your children, or if your weakest link is following your wife or your weakest link is getting into liquor, or your weakest link is getting into drugs, or your weakest link is getting into illicit sex, or watching TV all the time, or playing foul, rotten, blow-up games on the Internet, or watching terrible, naked sex stuff on the Internet over and over. So many men do. We've had a number of men in the church who are sex addicts. That is, they get into this pornography. Pornography on the Internet we've had that not a lot of them but a few and that's a terrible thing here God made a woman to be beautiful and to be beautiful to a man and that's fine every man knows that but to just sit there and watch that kind of stuff hour after hour it's it's sicko it's absolutely stupid but some men get hooked on that and God uses that to turn a man aside as he uses different situations to turn all of us aside Turn back to your New Testament again. If you would at this point, let's go to Ephesians, brethren. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, Ephesians chapter 2. Here we find he's talking to uh, the Ephesians who were mainly Gentile. And he said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, You He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. They've been worshipping Diana of the Ephesians. They'd been into drunkenness, sex orgies, all that kind of thing, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the one who broadcasts wrong attitudes through this earth's atmosphere continually, the prince of the power of the air. Who controls overall what's shown on TV? When you really understand it, it's Satan the devil. Who controls overall the approach of the Internet? And motion pictures and most other things. The prince of the power of the air. The spirit. A spirit being who now works in the sons of disobedience. So brethren, we need to realize that there is an invisible spirit broadcasting wrong attitudes. Wrong attitudes. Don't correct me. Don't tell me anything. I don't want God butting his nose into my business, people think. And that's the very attitude of Satan the devil. And you've really got to realize that and overcome it. God's going to use every way He can to split us up. Frankly, uh, He'll use the race issue to split us up too. Now we have a black president, and some people will criticize him just because he's black. That's wrong. If we criticize him because of specific political reasons, that's within our right, although we as Christians had better be very careful about that because we are not to revile the leader of our people, whoever he may be. But God will use that to cause some of our black brethren to get upset, some of our Latino brethren to be upset, some of our Oriental brethren to be upset. And then he's got rednecks among us who want to put down everyone just because they're not uh, white, uh, Anglo-Saxon, Celtic people. You know what I mean? Either extreme is wrong. We're one in Christ. Does that mean we're all supposed to marry each other? No. No. That doesn't mean we're all supposed to marry. We know it's better to marry within your own kind, although it's not a matter of sin. It's a matter of the overall pattern of the Bible. Christ when shows when uh, He comes back again, He has already appointed the twelve apostles, and each one of them will rule over one of the twelve tribes of Israel. But what if all the twelve tribes of Israel then are married with everybody else and there isn't any twelve tribes of Israel left? You see what I mean? That's not God's will. That's not God's will either. Any extreme like that is wrong. But we have to get the balance on the whole thing. When you think about we're all one in Christ, maybe I should turn to that because some people misunderstand that. And we are all one in Christ spiritually, no question about it. We better love each other, all of us in the church. Love blacks, whites, Indians, orientals, everybody. He says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 22 For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. See, we have put on Christ. He lives His life in us. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. You could say black or white. There is neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. So we can say, well, we all are free to intermarry since we're all one. Well, if you're logical and consistent, then men should marry men because we're neither male nor female. So therefore, men can marry women. men and women. You see what I mean? He's not saying that at all. He's not saying that there are physical differences. So we do use different showers and we do use different restrooms, The difference, uh, the, the sexes, the two sexes and those physical things. But we've got to have the right approach to to have in our heart and in our mind, whether we're male or female, about these differences in the sexes, and the man is the head of the house, and God said so. A Christian woman won't get all bugged about that. She'll say, well, God said that, and makes it very, very clear. He, He says, husband should be the head of the family, back in Ephesians 5. Describes it over and over. That's what God said. He made us that way. I didn't ask to be a man. And you didn't ask to be a woman, woman. any of you. And I didn't ask to be white. And some of you who are black or oriental or Latino, we did not ask. I would like to have been six foot three and 220 pounds and not be nearsighted and all the other problems I have. That never worked out for me. And I really, I really wanted the build of Muhammad Ali. Frankly, he had a much better build. I wanted to be that very size. I'm not kidding. I used to, I used to say that even before he came along and uh, I used to be six three and 220 and that's what he turned out to be. But you know, we can't all have just what we want. We're here for a short time. Frankly, brethren, compared to all eternity, a very short time, male or female, black or white, whatever. And as we serve our Creator lovingly and one another in this flesh, He works with us, He teaches us, He fashions and molds us, and then He gives all of us a spirit body. And in tomorrow's world, in the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, we are neither male nor female, and we're certainly not going to be different races We'll all be spirit beings forever and ever and ever in the family of God. Some of us have a great deal more intelligence than others. And again, I would like to have had the intelligence of some of these brilliant Jews. I've been reading some books again, so the, the, in most intelligent race, this is not politically correct, by the way, my whole sermon is is politically incorrect. <laughs> We're not supposed to talk about the difference of the sexes or the racist or anyone else. But the most brilliant people are the Jewish people. They have a genius in them. Not all Jews are geniuses, but they have, as a race, a higher IQ and certain greater capacity. And you get the list of the top atomic scientists or the top Doctors at the top, everything else, and the Jews are represented way beyond the proportion of Jews in the world. There's not even any comparison. I know several years ago I was talking to my sister Catherine, who played the violin and studied music, and and Mrs. Lucy Martin even headed the music department. And at that time, I guess that was 20 or 30 years ago, why the top five pianists in the whole earth you know, Rubenstein and Vladimir Horowitz and, and all these others were all Jews. And the top violinists were all Jews. How come? Well, go figure. But anyway, uh we can't all be Jews. So I'd like to have Muhammad Ali's build. I would like to have uh Einstein's mind. And I would like to have, okay, do you know in a few years I'll have all of that and more if I humble myself? And you will too. If I humble myself, we will all have all those things we want in that sense. We will all be brilliant. We will all be good looking. We'll have total power. But we try in this life to humble ourselves and not let Satan get our nose out of joint because we happen to be some kind of person that is picked on or we think we're a minority or something's bad said about us because we, we would rather have been a man or we'd rather have been white or we'd rather have been tall or thin or fat or thin or so whatever it is a lot of us want to be something we're not and God has not made us that way so anyway let's try to understand that and not let Satan take advantage of us in any way uh, now let's go here uh at this point, some suggestions about what we need to do, what we must do. And we got to think about uh what God has in mind and His whole purpose in all of this. Again, brethren, we are at war. And we are going to be at war as Satan begins to attack this church, as Satan begins to attack God's people more and more and more as each year goes by. Where will Satan attack the most? Will he attack the Catholic Church the most? Well, no, frankly, he already has them deceived. Why would he attack them? Will he attack the Chinese, Communists, or Buddhists, or someone? No. He will come after God's church. We are the greatest threat to Satan the devil because God is in the process of reproducing himself. God is in the process of making us like he is, God is in the process of training a cadre of human beings to replace Satan and his demons. And we will be the rulers over this whole world in a few years. And Satan knows that. He's not ignorant of that fact. He knows that, so he's going after us particularly. And he will try to upset people and get them to turn on each other in every way he can. And he'll come at our weakest link if our weakest link is giving in to our children, if our weakest link is giving in to our wife, or even you wives, you must not give in to your husbands in a wrong way. Some of you have unconverted husbands, or if you have a husband that falls away. It used to puzzle me because I thought I'd better not name names. I've tempted to name names and I've learned to try to not do that as much because I've taught so many people and knew them. But I think about this whole row of pretty girls I used to have that came all one year. Uh, Mrs. uh uh dorothy mcnair's uh one of their younger sisters came in about five or six and and these girls all married different men and the men led most of them right out of god's church. i thought well they're all set in my class they all were taught the same thing but they all followed their husbands in different directions and uh if a man falls away virtually every time the woman falls away is a woman converted or is she only converted if her husband is converted? Or is she only going to stay converted if her husband stays converted? Because some of these men didn't just leave the men to another church of God group. They just let them clear back into the world, you see. Clear out. Clear out of God's church. So, again, you women, I'm not trying to grind you down and say you don't have responsibility. You do. Some of our strongest people in the church through the years have been women who've had to stand up on their own and obey God. Regardless. And we can honor that. So whatever the weakest link is, Satan will come after it one way or the other. And uh, we do need to understand. So let's turn now to Ephesians again. And this time Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 describing this very spiritual warfare. And I want to read this to you here. Better better get my watch off so I know where I'm, I'm at. I think you've heard this joke before, but it was really told about me way back in the Shakespeare Club in the old days. They say, "What does it mean when Doctor Meredith takes his watch off when he is preaching?" They said, "Not a thing." <laughs> back in those days, why Raymond McNair and Gerald Waterhouse and I used to be the longest preachers, and uh, of course, Mister Armstrong was sometimes the longest because the whole service was one thirty to four thirty, and when we cut it down from from three-hour service to two and a half a number of the older brethren thought we were getting Laodicean they really did and now we've cut it back another half hour and all we have is two-hour services and new people coming in think that's too long too of course they get tired anyway I noticed once Mr. Armstrong had us younger ministers start preaching and he had to sit there and listen then he shortened the services (laughs) but sometimes Gerald Waterhouse and I and Raymond and one or two others, we we were used to preaching longer, so we we would go too long. Anyway, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. And brethren, when you think about it, going back to this previous verse, you don't think you're going to do it. I can't do it. Put on the power of His might. And sincerely mean that to where you cry out to God and you fast and you pray and you seek God's help to overcome yourself and the world and Satan. The power of his might. Then put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What does he mean, wiles? Well, the trickiness and the cunning and so forth. The devil is very, very clever. He's not stupid. He'll come at you from one direction, and if that doesn't work, he'll come back a few days or a few months later from another direction, and he'll see how he can break you down, and get you turned aside from being used by God as part of God's true church to prepare to be a king or priest in the kingdom of God and help rule this earth under Jesus Christ. He will do that every way he can. That is his purpose. And he is the accuser of the brethren and he is a liar and the father of lies and i would say this digressing for a moment but when you hear of some terrible thing about me or about mr ames or dr winnell or any of our leaders uh it might be true they say rod meredith has vanity yes that's absolutely true and rod meredith is human and makes mistakes that's absolutely true but if you hear something really weird that seems over much uh, please check it out that's all i say i've been a known quantity in god's church now for about 60 years and uh, we have people around here who've known me for over 50 years and they know what i am i uh, one or several people have said at least we know you, you, we know what we're getting you you uh, you, you get what you see I guess that's what it is so we don't fool you but most of you maybe don't know me that well you don't know Mr. Ames that well but you, Satan could start spreading a lie I am just just thought I'd mention that that can not happen and I'm sure he will there were bad rumors spread about Mr. Armstrong way back when that were not true and there have been some started against him since that were not true and we don't want to get up and defend against all kind of bad rumors just to put ideas in people's head. But Satan the devil, go back and read it in John chapter 8. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. The father of lies. He's the biggest liar in the universe. Anyway, you're to put on the whole armor of God to withstand all the trickery, the cunning cleverness of Satan. Satan. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You see, we're in a battle. We're in a wrestling match. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Powerful demons are there. Great fallen angels who have a lot of power and they can kind of attack you. I think I told you one time soon after I was baptized, it was just... I don't remember precisely, but a month or two or three after I was baptized back in 1949, this was now into early 1950, I was walking along South Orange Grove Boulevard and turned left there at uh, uh, what's-his-place, a little place called Singer Park. And I was just kind of in between classes or work just kind of stretching and thinking. And all there was a man across the street, across California Boulevard it is, and he was across the street now that man was probably 50 or 55 years old about my size but a little more flatulent looking he he was not as young or strong I was just 19 years old and had recently come from sports and so on but I saw him I'd never seen him before I had not seen any bad movies I had not been reading any violent uh, stories you know nothing I thought about all this later and all of a sudden pounding into my brain came this thing go over and strangle him go over and strangle him and that scared me I thought what in the world and I, I I like that and this thing came in my brain and I realized that was awful so I quickly walked back to Orange Grove Boulevard and Mr. Apartheid. and some will remember right where that is and I headed uh, north back up toward the college and actually I began to even jog part of the way and so on to get my mind active in a different direction and I got up there and saw Herman Hay and Raymond Cole and maybe Raymond Minair, two or three of the older students and I said what is this they said well undoubtedly that's Satan you were just baptized Rod a month or two he's coming after you and I said well what can I do they said you'd better fast so I fasted for two days I had only fasted for one day a couple of times once at atonement maybe one other day but I fasted for two days which was a great heroic thing for me back at that time but I was scared and I fasted and I beseeched God take this away Father and I began to think because I had studied psychology in junior college and then was taking a course in ambassador too from an outside teacher that was not in the church but understood the subject and I realized that they were right This was not something that was created as a result of a movie I'd seen or a book I'd read or anything. Nothing else was causing this to come into my brain except a fallen spirit, a demon, was putting this thought in my mind. So I just, in my childish way, a 19-year-old kid, cried out to God, Father, rebuke this, and I prayed and fasted for two days about it, and He took it away. It never came back, and nothing like that has ever come back so when you see me walking down and I raise my cane it's okay I won't hit you <laughs> I come down the hallway every now and then Jessica see me do this and there's some young man hanging around Jessica well, there are evil men here that will say you do that you know and, and uh, <laughs> hang around our young men, women I'll raise my cane and I say hey, Jessica is anyone bothering you and they all laugh They know I'm just kidding but anyway so uh, at any rate It's okay. But those things can happen to anyone, and God will take them away if we really turn to Him with all of our heart. But we've got to realize we're in a spiritual battle. We're wrestling powers, spiritual powers. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Verse 13, "...that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand." Say, you don't want to run, brethren. Please don't be scared. I don't want to scare anyone saying the devil's after me and I got to be scared to death. No, you do not. God is so much more powerful, but he does allow Satan to be here. When the Marines are trying to train powerful young men to attack the beaches, what do they do? Do they put them in feather beds and have them uh, have a little uh, nice uh, love songs played to them? No. They put them in hard bunks and they run them up and down the mountains and up and down the beaches and they make them go through obstacle courses. And this is an obstacle course. The world is an obstacle course in a sense that God has set and we have to show Him we're going to overcome ourselves, which pull us down, or overcome the world, which tends to pull us down, and we've got to overcome Satan. It's all part of God's plan to strengthen us, to make us into the crack troops that He wants in His army, in His kingdom, in His government, you know, in tomorrow's world. So we want to take it that way. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Stand, therefore, having girt your waist with truth. What is truth? John 17:17. 17, 17, Thy word is truth. This whole book. Feast on the Bible. As it says in John chapter 6 verse 57, feed, feed on Christ. Drink into the Bible. Don't just carelessly read it. Think about it. Masticate it like you do uh, some meat. Just chew it thoroughly. Let it go Cir- circle around in your mind and turn it over and try to understand it and pray to God for understanding. Make it part of the very way you think, the very way you are. So you think like God. Truth is the whole Bible having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate, that covers your heart, your attitude, righteousness. And having shod your feet, that's where you move, that's what you do with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Be busy in God's work. Mr. Armstrong said your spirituality can often be determined by the degree to which you have your heart in God's work. If your heart is in God's work, you won't just give a tithe and a little tiny offering. You will try to go above and beyond that if you can. And to the degree you can help, not because of me. I think I could say this in a better way now. I'm not planning to die tomorrow. Don't get me wrong. But you know what I mean? I I could. And at my age, I want more money into this work. And, and, of course, Mr. Davis has known me for decades now in this work. He always says, well, you want this money, the minute you get hold of it, you're going to put it. get us on another TV station. Yeah, that's right. We're going to put it into TV, or we're going to put it in the work of God. That's where we want it. So we do need more. We do need people to have their whole heart in the work and have your prayers, your prayers and your whole heart helping one another in the local church, either every way you can, whatever you have to do, do it with your might. And getting out the message of God to the world. The world needs desperately what we have. And we've just got so much more time to get it out. Above all, taking the shield of faith. What protects you from Satan's darts when he starts coming after you? That absolute knowledge that God is real. That God is your father. That God will take care of you. The shield of faith, as he describes it here. uh, with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Satan will shoot out fiery darts, poison arrows sometimes to try to make you doubt, to try to make you upset, to try to make you turn aside. You need to prove to where you know, and you know that you know, that God, the Father, the God of the Bible is real, and that what He said is real, and you put your faith and trust in that, and you're willing to die for that. And brethren, you really do. I think you all know that. You've got to really be willing to die for that. And I'm not just talking out of school here or something. I've had to be willing to do that when we went on these baptizing tours and, and had guns pointed right at us and, and so on. Well, we before we went to the next place, we'd sometimes just literally pull up to, uh, before we went into the final road of the driveway and bow our heads or and pray say, Father, protect us and be with us. Because any time we could have been shot at and killed in some of those places, we knew that. But at any rate, you've got to be willing to die for what you believe. And certainly you've got to be willing to live for what you believe as well. And having your sheet, feet shot to the preparation of the gospel, put your whole being into the work and have the shield of faith and take the helmet of salvation. A helmet protects what? It protects your mind The helmet protects your human mind and course, the mind is where the Holy Spirit comes and so on. So you need the helmet of God's salvation, His Holy Spirit to guide your mind, to guide your thoughts. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What's the only offensive weapon that you have? This book, that you can quote it right back to Satan, right back to Satan's ministers, right back to others who would attack you just like Jesus did. Satan said, cast yourself down from this pinnacle of the temple because God has said He will protect you. And then Jesus quoted the Bible right back. He says, the Bible also says you're not to tempt God. You're not to put God in an unnecessary test. And uh, He says, well, just fall down below me and I'll give you the whole world. Well, Satan knew that, I mean, Christ knew that Satan did have the whole world. He was and is the God of this world. But He quoted right back, you shall worship the eternal your God and Him only shall you serve. He quoted the Bible right back to him. Satan can quote the Bible. Satan, I mean, Christ was very aware of Satan the devil and of his power and all these things. So take the sword of the Spirit. Know your Bible. Know it. Live by it. Have faith in it, which is the Word of God. And then he goes on praying always. And we've got to be praying always, brethren, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Pray fervently for one another. If you sense that one of your brethren is getting upset because they get upset against the church, they get upset at Mr. Apartin or Dr. Winnale or me or someone, just pray for them. You could go to them and talk to them, but pray for one another. If you see someone weak, don't make fun of them. We're not trying to hurt them. Help them. Help them to wake up. Help them to come back. Do everything you can. Praying for everyone. And for me, Paul writes, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, the awesome plan that God is working out here below in reproducing Himself. When you understand that term, mystery of the gospel, that is the ultimate part of it, for which I am an ambassador in chains, Paul didn't give up and quit he was in chains he still was writing this that, it, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak so he had a lot of courage but brethren we've got to realize how real Satan the devil is and our need to overcome him if you turn back to the uh, book of uh, uh, John you'll see here how this is, was all very real in Christ's mind in John 12 and verse 31, he says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. So Satan was just about to be overcome by Christ, and Christ referred to him as the ruler of this world. That's got to become very real to us, so we understand the war we're in. In chapter 13 and verse 27, John thirteen twenty seven. Now after the piece of bread... Remembering that final Passover Satan entered Judas Iscariot. Satan was very real, a spirit being entered Satan entered Judas. Then Jesus said, "What you do, do quickly." And Judas went out and plotted to kill to, to betray Christ right then. Then in chapter 14, John 14 and verse 30 He said, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world. Who is the ruler of this whole world right now? Who's in charge? The ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Satan has no part with Christ at all because he is the rebel. The very word Satan means adversary, as you know. And then in chapter 16, John 16 and verse 11, he said, He's going to convict the world of righteousness and judgment and of of judgment, verse 11, because the ruler of this world is judged. And Christ overcame him. Satan guided his death by possessing, literally possessing Judas and causing the Jews to betray him and causing the Romans to do the actual killing. The Jew and the Gentile part of the world were represented in Christ's death. And then Christ overcame all that God showed. Christ was triumphant through the resurrection. All right. Now, back in Mark chapter uh, 9, if you turn back there briefly, brethren. I've referred to this principle before, but I want us to turn back there and see this. It's one that I think most of you are familiar with. But turn back to the gospel of Mark here in chapter 9. Here in chapter 9 of the Gospel of Mark, it shows one from the multitude came, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, a demon. Sometimes when a child is, is, is mute and unable to speak, or they have epileptic seizures, or they have various things, sometimes it's actually Satan involved there. And we found that. And wherever he is, he seizes him, throws him down, foams the mouth, gnashes. So I spoke to your disciples that they could not cast him out, but they could not. And what did Jesus say? Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? And so on. How long will I bear with you? And of course, then he, the father cried out to him. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. And so then the spirit cried out and convulsed this child. And so finally, he cast the demon out, but the disciples came privately saying, why couldn't we do it? In verse 28, why could we not cast him out? And in Mark 9, 29, so Jesus said, this kind, this kind of demon can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And if you have some modern translation that leaves out the word fasting, your modern translation is wrong. In the majority text, in the Masoretic text, in the received text, I should say, the word fasting is in there and should be in there. I've double, triple checked that prayer and fasting. God wants us to fast as a tool to overcome ourselves, to make the spirit world more real, to make God more real, to draw close to God through deep study, meditation, and prayer. So, brethren, if you're going to overcome Satan the devil in the time to come, you have to do it through all these tools that we've given to overcome Satan in all those ways. Now turn back, if you would, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4 and here he's talking to the elders not being lords over those entrusted but being examples and he said in verse 5 1 Peter chapter 5 I mean I say for 1st Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 then G- Peter continued likewise you younger people submit yourselves to your elders yes all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility As I've said, brethren, that's not easy to be clothed with humility. None of us do that perfectly, but we should try with our heart. That doesn't mean you have to go around and look at the ground all the time and be bent over, but you do in your heart have to realize that you are nothing, that you're God's child, you're God's servant, and and you belong to Him and really mean that and have honor and honor other people. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud. That's one of the key things I've noticed all my life watching these things. And that's what God says over and over and over again about the devil and his demons. If people are arrogant, if they're self-willed, filled with self, Satan can get at them a lot easier. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. He's not going to exalt you tomorrow, but in due time He will and we have to be humble and patient. Casting all your care upon him For he cares for you Be sober Don't be silly Obviously you can have fun And rejoice in the right way And God's love But I mean over your life as a whole You want to be sober and alert Be vigilant Because your adversary The enemy The devil Walks about like a roaring lion Seeking whom he may devour He's out there in the bushes He will come at you from this direction That direction Some other direction If he can And you've got to be prepared and overcome all of these things that he attacks you with. Your adversary, seeking whom he may devour, resist him. That's your part. You've got to resist him through Bible study, prayer, meditation, fasting, and then taking action by immediately falling on your knees, by in your mind tightening up and saying, Away, Satan. God, rebuke Satan. When you have wrong thoughts come, you can quickly pray, say, God, please rebuke Satan right now guide my mind, and do everything you can to do your part. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. They have these things come on them, but they don't have God to help them. But may the God of all grace who called called us into his, as it ought to be, into his eternal glory, fantastic glory is ahead. Is it all worth it? Wow, is it worth it when we're going to live forever and ever and ever in a family based on love and joy and peace and and beauty and prosperity and all that kind of thing throughout all eternity in the family of God, all of us, males and females, black and white, old and young, sick and well, given a glorious spirit body, a spirit body in the very family of God. We'll know it's worth it then. He called us into His eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while. All of us go through various sufferings. All of us go through various trials and tests. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, brethren, take this seriously. As our work grows, we're going to be attacked. You will be attacked in various ways those of us in the ministry will be attacked some of us in the leadership may be attacked more made fun of lies told us about us if it's something true check it out check it out but we're not unknown figures most of you know that you can talk to mrs Nestor now mrs murray who's known me for about 35 years or whatever and talk to mr Partin, who's known me for about 55 years and Mrs. Spartan's known me a couple years, even longer. And lots of people have been around who know me, and you've known me for, what, 35 or 40 years? 50? Okay, Mr. Lindley. And uh, he knows some bad things about me. He said, Rod Meredith used to be too strict. Yes. Maybe I'm still too strict. But we're not doing anything weird, and you can figure that out. So you prove all things and hold fast that which is good, and don't let Satan get at you, and yet you upset wrongly at one another. Or at the ministry. Or at the church. Or at God Himself. At God Himself. Because it leads to that. If He gets you in a wrong spirit. A spirit of bitterness. A spirit of bitterness could take you right out. And destroy you. Destroy the hopes and dreams that God has for you. To be His Son and His Kingdom throughout all eternity. So let's look forward to that glorious Kingdom. And that reward we will have. If we fight the good fight. And overcome Satan the devil...